on this week's dose, we have Nick Talreja, CEO and co-founder of Sidecar, the company that helps people start and run their own special purpose vehicle without worrying about all the administrative and legal burdens. Nick began his career in law where he got to work with many types of companies, gaining an appreciation and expertise for business at all levels, but especially and eventually the early stage. It was during a mid-career pivot that he realized investing was his calling and passion, but starting his own fund was not as easy as it should be. And so Sidecar was born just a couple of years ago to address that very problem. In the interview, you will hear Nick talk about the types of funds people start using Sidecar, as well as his outlook on the venture market these days and looking ahead, and also his plans to continue to grow as a venture-backed startup of his own in the coming months. As always, we wrap up this week's conversation with Nick's advice for the pilgrims looking to start their own fund one day and an unprompted shout out for a startup we covered a few episodes back in episode 81. It was great to have Nick on the show and we are excited to share our conversation with him. Here it is. This is Venture Pill, your weekly dose of startups and venture capital. We break down recent startups in the news and interview founders and investors to help you stay informed in the evolving world of venture. All right, we welcome on Nick Talreja, CEO and co-founder of Sidecar. Welcome to the show, Nick. How's it going? Thank you, Sam. It's great. It's great. Good to be here. Yeah, pleasure having you on. We are missing a key a key person in the equation here. Brandon couldn't make it. He was really looking forward to this one, but figured we wanted to keep it going and it'll be just you and me today. We're really excited to hear the story, kind of your career background. If you could start there, Tell us about your early career and how it sort of led you into the world of venture. And we'll go from there. Happy to, Sam. Yeah, so I grew up in Southern California uh, in, in the outskirts of LA, San Fernando Valley for anyone that loves the valley. Um, ended up going to USC for undergrad, UCLA for law school. Um, kind of ended up in law school because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I figured, hey, may as well build a specialized skill while I figure out what I want to do. And that's what I ended up uh, taking me to law school. And I started my career uh, as an attorney in New York City uh, after law school back in, in 2013, almost a decade ago now. Um, and in New York, worked as a, a capital markets attorney, uh, advising companies that were going public on how to go public and advising companies that were public on how to stay public and, and honor good governance. Also did a bunch of other things in New York, you know, mergers and acquisitions, just some governance work more generally, supporting active as hedge funds, but really my focus was more on securities law. And while that was super fun, Ended up working with lots of larger companies as they went public and got to meet some some wonderful people that worked really hard to get to where they were on the, on the company side and on the bank side. I ended up finding myself just itching for something a little bit more grassroots, a little bit more at the zero to one stage. And this was around, of course, the time of tech being super interesting as it still is today. You know, I'd find myself instead of reading the Wall Street Journal, reading TechCrunch. And I was like, huh, I wonder if I'd be happier in Silicon Valley working with, with startup companies, getting to know founders, maybe feeling that energy. And um, got a few job offers in California, ended up uh, moving to a firm called Cooley in Palo Alto, which is known for its work with startup companies. And I worked with amazing people at Cooley in, in representing startup companies. So 
everything from founders who didn't have an idea all the way through exits. And I, it was it was such a thrilling experience for me as an attorney to be on the sidelines of a lot of that growth and, and just seeing personal development and evolution on the founder side. Um, after about two and a half years of Cooley, after kind of cutting my teeth in, in Silicon Valley as an attorney, I decided I wanted to do something different. And this was around the time that my wife, who's a physician, landed a fellowship opportunity back in New York City. Uh, we said, hey, if we're going to move back to the East Coast, let's take some time to travel and enjoy life. So I quit. I didn't have an idea. I had no conception of what would come next. And I was like, I'll just figure it out. And uh, very quickly after quitting, some of my clients at Cooley reached out and said, hey, we miss working with you. Do you want to join us? Can we employ you? Do you want to be our lawyer still? You know, we just miss working with you. Yeah. And that was kind of a gift I couldn't turn down because, you know, they really wanted to work with me and actually really liked them as people. So I ended up just putting together my own law firm just by chance. It really wasn't a, a plan. And that grew into its own world. Um, I ended up building a really great business. Um, had a partner named Eric who grew the practice with me. And I got to know just dozens upon dozens of founders at a more intimate level. You know, when I had my own law firm, I didn't have to bill for things that I want to bill for. I wasn't a scary attorney that would just bill for every minute of every phone call. I wanted to know about the businesses. I was very curious about the strategy behind every business evolution. So I got really in the weeds. Ended up joining a couple of boards. I was an advisor to many companies. And I started investing in companies because I was like, look, as an attorney, I get some upside of just being you know, on, on the sidelines and billing my fee. But I want to grow financially with these companies too and mm -hmm. have, have an interest in their success and have a stake really in their game. So I ended up investing. And that's what ultimately left to Sidecar is when I was investing behind these businesses and I had allocations in these interesting companies at their earliest financing rounds, I was like, huh, I wonder if I can invite other capital alongside with me. And maybe I can create a fund, if you will, something to kind of back really the companies I'm very close to. I know these companies extremely well. I'm probably the best person to ask any questions of their sort of, you know, health and diligence from a, from a legal perspective. And they're open to sharing that with my group. So I wonder if I can raise a fund. And I met David uh, Meister on this journey and we created a small fund and had a terrific time doing that, but a terrible time running its back office. Mm -hmm. And we realized that, you know, when it comes to running a fund, you know, the, the stuff you read about in TechCrunch about so-and-so raised $10 million to invest in, you know, uh, uh, sub-Saharan African fintech companies. That seems very interesting, but really the back office complexity is something no one wants to think about. Yeah. It dawned on us that if we felt that pain as attorneys, as people who knew how to put these structures together, it had to be a lot worse for those who didn't. So Sidecar was born really out of this vision of simplifying how capital flows through private markets by streamlining how funds are created and managed. And yeah, just really sort of a, a linear path if you look back at my path now to see how I got from, you know, where I started post-law school to where I am today. But it certainly didn't feel linear. Many, many points on that journey felt like very volatile and, yeah. and circular. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And so when you kind of, when that dawned on you guys that it, there was a lot of headache and burden associated with the back office operations of standing up a fund, did I, I assume you looked at, out there and there wasn't, there wasn't anything like Sidecar or was there, you know, some other competition that maybe just wasn't doing right. I'm curious about the, the competitive landscape and maybe how that's evolved as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, there, there were companies out there that could have supported us if we were to sacrifice a few things that were important to us, but we weren't willing to sacrifice those things. Um, one company that's no longer in business is called Assure Fund Administration. Um, they were more of a services oriented business. Uh, you'd go to them and say, hey, I have my legal forms. Please help me run my SPVs or run my fund. And they would charge you a fixed fee, uh, either upfront for your SPV or annually for your fund to do that. But it was a very manual business. And that meant time delays to really get 
questions answered to see things through, as well as potential issues on accuracy because it was such a manual operation. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you know, I was close to the team at Angelus since we worked together. Um, I knew I knew their their leadership. Um, but the the downside of working with Angelus for us at that time was we had our relationships. We already had our LPs. We didn't want to take them to a place where they would find people just like us um, mm-hmm. and maybe think we weren't so special as early managers. And if you're an early manager bootstrapping, the last thing you want to do is lose that intimacy with your LPs where they think you bring something special. And when you're working so hard to justify that value for them to invest behind you and trust you wholeheartedly in your, your investment decisions. So we, we didn't want to decrease that the value of that relationship by seeming like just a number. So we realized that there really wasn't anything else out there that was product driven, especially. Mm-hmm. And we wanted something that was effortless, relatively inexpensive, fast, incredible. And that didn't exist. Okay, fantastic. And so walk me through like the last several years. Um, what kind of funds have people started? Any notable ones come to mind? Yeah, you know, I brought up Africa as a, as a fund thesis because our very one of our very first customers is named uh, Hayden Simmons, mm-hmm. and uh, he, together with someone named Kian Kasiri, runs a fund called RallyCap, R A L I C A P. If anyone wants to look it up, and um, RallyCap started as a community. They started as just a bunch of you know fintech founders and operators really passionate about investing in emerging markets, and it was through Sidecar that they ended up creating their syndicate and started investing behind these companies. And when Sidecar launched its fund product in beta, they became one of our first fund customers. And they raised, uh, they raised a couple funds now using Sidecar to invest in emerging markets. Another customer that comes to mind is uh, Nick Milanovic. Um, Nick Milanovic runs a fund called the FinTech Fund, and he backs FinTech entrepreneurs globally. Um, and uh, he does a phenomenal job really just building his brand through amazing content. He's just an extremely intelligent person that's very close to the ground in FinTech. And he launched his first fund and... Uh, now a second fund on, on Sidecar. So we've had a few funds that started as like literally just before their even first investment as a syndicate grow wow. and mature on Sidecar to, to now formidable funds. That's really cool. Yeah. Just to see that evolution, I'm sure pretty, a pretty wide variety of types of funds, types of investments that they're making. Yeah. I'm sure you can name plenty more, but was just curious about that. And and also wondering how things have evolved in the first several years as we've seen venture markets kind of get to a peak and and now right. fall a bit. How how has that been the last couple of years? It's been a ride to say the least. Yeah. Um, you, know, you can imagine as like a as a startup like Sidecar that's venture backed that um, that's making commitments to your customers. You know, uh, volatility is not something that's very friendly uh, when it comes to planning, uh, but you know, we do great work. And uh, I think the product of just taking care of our customers and putting them first is that we built a pretty formidable brand and have a really healthy customer base that has led us to an extremely healthy operation. Um, And, uh, you know, while the markets were volatile last year, and, you know, I think they've been volatile for a few years, even even when they were going up, that's technically volatility. you know, one thing we've seen is that the venture markets, although they've corrected, are still very active. People are still investing. There are still great deals to be done. In fact, I think you could argue that there are better deals to be done today. Mm-hmm. And that means that Sidecar is a tool that still that still has a lot of utility. So uh, this is our best year, uh, multiples over last year, and um, and we're still growing. So it's been uh, it's been maybe not intuitive from the outside looking in. You can build a healthy business in the space we're in, but mm-hmm. sure, the market's not 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 as big as it was perhaps a couple of years ago, but it's still big enough for us to thrive. 
Well, con- congratulations on that success continued through the volatility. Um, curious also, Nick, you have a pulse on, on the market, probably from a unique standpoint compared to others. What's your outlook next few years, how things will continue to evolve? Yeah. Um, I wish I had a better pulse, Sam. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but <laughs> what, what I can say is that, um, I think the non, non-intuitive piece is that the markets are still very active right now. Um, I think the dynamic that shifted in the market is what bidders and, uh, uh, you know, sellers are willing to accept as far as valuations on, on different rounds and, uh, what a investable company looks like from a qualitative standpoint, as far as how much traction it has, that certainly has shifted in favor of investors who, who rightfully should be doing more diligence than, than maybe the prior years and are doing more diligence this year. I think if we look ahead, look, I think venture is an extremely important asset class because you really, you're, you're creating, uh, you know, the best companies and, and some of the, you're pushing forward on the most innovative concepts that the world needs. Uh, and these, these, these innovations need to be funded and, and generally derive greater value for, for being astronomical and potential. Those things are still going to happen. People are still developing insane technologies. I mean, AI is an example of that. I don't think we fully understand its impact and maybe some aspects of it are completely overblown today. But still, it's going to have a dramatic impact on how we work, on how we live in some, in some, you know, in ways that we can't perceive yet. And I think those companies that might shape what AI is, as an example, you know, will change society, have not even been built yet. So, you know, I think venture will continue to be very, very interesting. Um, will we see that fervor uh, that we saw a couple of years ago? I don't think we'll see that for a few more years. But mm-hmm. I think we'll see a very healthy resumption of activity in, in the venture, venture asset class. Um, I don't think that rising interest rates will shut that down. I think it may make it more difficult for some companies to grow in that environment, but it's it's going to probably stay where it is as far as activity and an increase from here, I would think, over the next few years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting time. And as you said, potentially a better time to be investing in the space. Talk to us a little bit more about sidecars uh, plans for fundraising in the future. I think you had a seed round in recent months before this, how did things look moving ahead for potentially a series A coming soon? How are you thinking about that? Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, we're very healthy right now from a financial standpoint, we're very well capitalized. So when it comes to rounds coming up, you know, I, I don't foresee us raising this year for sure. Um, going into next year, you know, we have some great ideas that we want to explore on expanding sidecars um, impact on the financial markets. So Hmm. as we think about the utility of our products, like these automated vehicles um, beyond just early stage venture, but, but into mid to late stage venture, private equity, more generally, perhaps other asset classes. I think there's Mm -hmm. plenty of wood for us to chop as people get more fee sensitive and want more transparency in financial markets. I think that the tools we're building are, are more and more attractive. So um, we might, we might raise next year. I don't think we need to raise next year, but we might raise next year. If we feel like there's an, there's there's a there's some moonshot ideas we're chasing, but um, but until then, I think we're going to just keep doing what we're doing and build a healthy business along the way. Mm-hmm. And so those those potential points of expansion are exciting. How do you balance? I, I think it's a common thing when we've talked to other founders and investors talking about when when it's right to expand beyond your core market. How do you think about? like how much juice there is left to squeeze, I guess, so to speak, within, you know, the current types of funds you're attracting today and with those expansion opportunities as another option, how will you know when it's it's the right time? This is a question I think about a lot. Um, 
And it's because I, I come from like a, a school of thought of like mastery being really important um, rather than sort of just a jack of all trades rather than a master of none. And I think for, for us at Sidecar, that means efficiency is extremely important and how we build our products to sustain our customers over the life cycle of the relationship and planning for that up front is really, really important. And mastering that relationship and expectations is really important to us because our business is all about trust and credibility. So we're not, we're not quick to shift gears. In fact, I think if you look at our trajectory compared to some of our competition, that's no longer, no longer around because they grew too fast and they took on too much yeah. and they didn't have great margins. Our story is one of more stable, healthy growth and building product that serves our customers needs better than our customers expect. And that means that we drill really deep and we build product that automates a lot more than what, what meets the eye. So we still have a lot more wood to chop in venture if we wanted to stay in venture before thinking of other asset classes. But I think we're able to leap to other asset classes in a, in a less uh, chaotic way than some of our competition because of how applicable what we've already built is to all of these different asset classes. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. No, it's something we respect a lot. You know, we, as you said, seen a lot of companies grow too quickly. And I think that's also a product of you know, the environment that we were in a few years ago and investors pouring money like it was nobody's business and into whatever they could find. And I think things are changing now, but definitely excited to see where you guys take it. And once that time comes, you know, to raise that next round and take that big step into expanding on, uh, that, that will be awesome. Um, to wrap up this episode, a, a bit of a quick one for us, Nick, but we always want to give our pilgrims, the listeners of this show, uh, some advice. A lot of our listeners are young, maybe looking to get into the space, looking to learn. Yeah. So they come to us. What advice would you have to folks looking to get into venture more broadly? Folks looking to get into venture more broadly, I would say, you know, start, start small. If you want to be an investor, um, start small, focus on a niche where you have an expertise, where you have friends, where you have community. And flex your skill set by trying to see how much deal flow you can get within that community. And before you even offer anything to someone else, really think long and hard about what your motivation is when it comes to investing. Do you want to be a fund manager? Are you comfortable just running a syndicate as a side project alongside whatever else you're doing? What are your intentions? And then build from there. And I would say before even sharing the first deal that you want to have others join you on, make sure that you fully believe in that deal. That you're putting money in it as well. That you're committing to that because there's an important relationship at play between you and anyone backing you, which is a fiduciary duty. Um, you just really want to make sure that you're putting your, your, you know, your, your, you have a stake in the game, right? With, with everything that, that you're sharing with your community. And after you've proven yourself, after the companies you're investing in seem to do well and you have a reliable flywheel for deal flow, um, I think then your focus should be, hey, how do I build a community of people who want to invest behind me? And what's special about what you bring to that world, the community you're trying to build, that makes you a compelling person for others to follow. And I think that's where it really helps to be someone that's thinking about the world around you, that's putting out helpful content, that's truly being a super connector because you have the right intentions of wanting to make the world a more connected place. You wanna help people rather than just think about just doing deals. I think the minute that you might think that venture's just about doing deals, you might not be in it for right intentions. So I think it's really about finding that connection between the people around you that you really care about and the passion of investing in things that you think need to be in the world. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, and you mentioned sort of staying educated, you know, finding that space. What what are some resources that you might recommend to folks within, I don't know, maybe it's not industry or sector specific, but just broadly startups and venture capital? Besides oh, venture pill, of course. 
besides venture pill, the best option, <laughs> um, you know, it's honestly, this is where like, I found myself just curious about things that I'm curious about, right? It's the things yeah. I would chase. Like one of our first investments was a company called, uh, no traffic that, uh, installs, uh, equipment, uh, atop, uh, traffic signals and creates like basically a mesh network and then allows a city like planners to see all traffic flow at all mm -hmm. the intersect major intersections in the city and control traffic flow in a remote environment so that you don't have to just have timers controlling traffic lights, but you can control it based upon traffic flow changing over time or emergency vehicles or what have you. Right. Or you can even track incidents and monitor where accidents might happen based upon relative velocities of vehicles and change signals as a result to prevent accidents. It's really interesting technology. And I was super curious about that tech because I was curious about cameras and optics, right? That, that were in vehicles that, you know, were had self-driving potential like LIDAR and cameras and radar and whatnot. So, you know, I think honestly, if you have some passion for something, explore that. There's probably some people using it in ways that you, you don't know, you haven't figured out yet that, or you have the ability to diligence that and really understand a level that no one else can. Yeah. We've certainly learned that in the variety of companies. We don't really focus on a certain industry or sector either. And it's just like, follow the curiosity, kind of you find other companies within the same space, or you find a firm that invests in that space and you look at their portfolio. That's, that's advice we've heard as well. You mentioned no traffic. Is that, is that an Israeli company? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Is. We actually, we covered them. Such a cool technology. That's awesome. You said that was one of your first investments? One of our first, yeah. Through, through the fund 18 ventures. That was, uh, what, what, you know, the inspiration for sidecar ultimately. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. I'll have to send you oh, that wow. episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I didn't think, I mean, no traffic is such a good, such a good name. I, I didn't think maybe there was a, another one, but glad <laughs> yeah. I asked. It is good. Um, yeah. Nick, well, we're, we're running out of time here. What's the best way for our listeners to connect with you if they're interested in learning more about sidecar or just following along your journey? Yeah, you can find me on, on, on LinkedIn, uh, Nick Talreja, N-I-K-T-A-L-R-E-J-A, on uh, X, formerly Twitter, as it's, as it's now uh, uh, mm -hmm. described everywhere, um, at Nick Talreja, again, at N-I-K-T-A-L-R-E-J-A. Perfect. Nick, this was a pleasure, jam-packed with information, and love to hear the story there. Uh, we'll be sure to put those in the in the show notes and and help share your story, and, and good luck with... Uh, with Sidecar and moving forward, we'll, we'll hope to uh, stay along with the journey. Maybe have you on after the Series A. That sounds great. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another dose of startups and venture capital. And as always, we appreciate our pilgrims spreading the word about the show. Share with your friends and help someone else make the pilgrimage. See you next time. She only bumps my music when she's lonely. Thinks my vibe's a little low key, okie dokie. That's alright, but wait, I don't know how to do things differently than The views, statements, and opinions expressed herein by the hosts and their guests are their own, and their appearance on the podcast should not be construed as reflecting the views or implied endorsement of Independent Brokered Solutions LLC or any of its officers, employees, or agents. The statements made herein should not be considered an investment opinion, advice, or recommendation regarding securities of any company. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes and is not to be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy a security.